It is Greg, Zach, and Ty. Yay! Not Scott. Not Scott. Where's Scott go? Scott is on vacation with his family in Seattle. We're all jealous of him right now. I don't know. I feel good about Minnesota right now. We have good weather, finally. But Seattle. It's like 10 degrees cooler there. It's probably raining. But no humidity. It doesn't rain in the summer. He's probably tripping over hipsters. They get two months of no rain, and it's right now. Frankly, I don't know much about Seattle. Greg, you know all the things. It's the most beautiful place on earth. Never been. When it's not raining. (laughs) (laughs) I was last there when I was 12. I wasn't in Seattle even. You should go back. Seattle's great. We're glad that they can get away as a family. Uh, This week's going to be a little bit different on the podcast. We're going to have this podcast and then we'll have another one at the end of the week. Um, Ty is going to be speaking in the North Loop this week. Yay! How are you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good. Fine. I've done it before, so yeah, I'll do it again. <laughs> uh, and then uh, it just so happens that it lines up that Scott's gone this week, Zach's gone the week after that, and then I'm gone the following week. So Ty's going to do this same message first at North Loop, then Camden, and then Uptown. And uh, in the weeks Ty's not there, we're going to be still doing the regular series that we've been on. And a few weeks from now, we're going to jump into a study on the book of James. That will be a pretty long series. So if you're looking for something new, here it comes. Get ready because it will be solid four or five months of that. Yeah. So uh, we will be jumping in here in a minute. Uh, some coming ups, some things coming up. <laughs> what does that mean? Can you talk about the coming ups real quick? Yeah. What are the coming ups? We could use that word. That's a very efficient way to say here's what's happening yeah. according to church world. It's my way. Here's the coming ups. We're also talking about almonds and how Greg pronounces it. Almonds. I will never like say from... that word on this podcast. <laughs> like he's from New Orleans or something. <laughs> Nolens. <laughs> almonds? No. Almonds. <laughs> so if just, you're around Greg, just uh, ask him what he thinks about almonds and ask him to pronounce almonds for you. He might, right? I do have a list of words that I purposefully don't say when I'm speaking, <laughs> and that word is on this list, along with a few others. What's another one of those words? Uh, shoulder? Yeah, I don't say Wait, that. Shoulder. Why don't you say yeah. shoulder? Because I accidentally say soldier a lot. Oh, soldier. That yeah. makes sense. I get those words mixed up when I'm speaking. Ever since I was a kid. Man. So I won't say I that. I never knew. Yeah. Don't don't hit your soldier against the door there. <laughs> uh, pronunciation for some reason has always come really easy to me, and I'll overpronunciate certain words that most Americans don't like uh so when when the air conditioning is on, you would say that that is you feel cool. cool. Uh, well, sorry if if the climate <laughs> if the climate in general is good, let's say you're wearing pajamas. <laughs> well, how how do you feel? Starts with a C. Comfortable. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, you say it weird. Yeah, I say comfortable. Like it's oh, like it's comfortable. Comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or uncomfortable. And Joy always gets on me for that because the way that we pronounce it is. C O M F T E R B L E. Comfortable. Comfortable. That's comfortable. 
Yeah, I don't like that. Comfortable. It sounds like you're trying to one-up me when you talk like that. That's usually what it is. I want to make sure people know they're below me. You know me. Now I have to go home and find out what Rachel thinks I say funny. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, one thing we encourage you to do this week. If you're married, ask your spouse which words you say funny. If you're single, just ask a friend. Kelsey told me this week that I mumble a lot. Oh, I mumble a lot. I don't think I've ever been a mumbler. And And I talk too quick. I blur my mumbling. Yeah. I usually feel like I talk fairly clearly, but I don't know. I don't mumble, but I talk to myself a lot. Hmm. Joy will point that out at home every time that I do it. Do you realize you're talking to yourself a lot right now? Yeah, Kelsey does that. I go, who are you talking to right now? (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. What's coming up? What are the coming Coming ups? What are the coming ups? We're going to put babies in water. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and take them back out <laughs> wait take, not take babies them back out. we don't yeah. do babies oh wait no darn oh, babies are gonna that be that really ruins that picture we're gonna put big babies in water we're gonna play we're gonna adults. Humans, adults we're gonna put adults in water and then take them back out at some point yeah. we won't be putting the babies if in you water. don't know what he's talking about talking about baptisms baptisms baby dedications that's a month away from this Sunday uh it's yeah, almost exactly a month away from this Sunday. We will be having a cookout at Worth Lake at 10 a.m. So bring yourself and a side dish to share. Uh, you can bring a dessert or uh, a side, something that's easy to eat in a picnic setting. We will provide hot dogs and drinks. Our announcement card last week said that we'll provide dogs, which I had to clarify <laughs> does not mean that everyone will get a dog. You get a what kind of dogs are we doing? Yeah. Well, not everyone, real dogs. Everyone's getting a little uh, chihuahua. Or... I don't know. Pomeranians. I just imagine 100 dogs sitting, waiting to be given to people <laughs> in some kind of pen somewhere. That's chaos. I don't want to be in charge of that. <laughs> Two months from now is United Service. or We just talked about United Service. Um, Two months from now are Fall Retreat. Yeah. It's coming up so fast. Yeah, I'm going to beat everybody at Wiffle Ball. Well, you probably are. But I'm going to beat everybody at sailing. Mm, I don't know if you are. <laughs> That's because I'm going to be the only one on the lake. He's, he's secretly been reading uh, up and practicing. No one's brave enough to sail with you after been, last year. I've been going out with Paul every week. He's been teaching <laughs> me the ways. Uh, fall retreat's coming up. If you haven't been and you're part of the corner community, we really encourage you to go. Not just because we want more people, but it really is a great time away from the normal rush of life. A great time to sit and enjoy nature, to eat food, to connect with people, to play games. Uh, It's very restful. It's intentionally restful. And uh, if you feel like you want to just take some time away from normal life and get some time for perspective, this is a great place to do it. We'll go up to Camp Lebanon. Camp Lebanon. Up up north, eh? It's not that far. No, it's not. You don't hear those. It's not very up north. No. I would love it though. Like when I want to go up north, way north, just to hear people talk. I just want to stare at them, smiling (laughs) face. You want all the apologies? Can you say what? Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not very entertaining. Could you say? uh, Could you say comfortable for me? (laughs) How far (laughs) up do I have to go, Dad? Really get it. I, I think it's Fargo? more. I heard it's mostly on the range. 
Yeah, if you get out to the range. I don't know where that's at, though. You know, out there, over there. Like Bemidji? Bemidji, you could probably hit it. I mean, once you hit Boundary Waters territory, you're in it. In it to win it. Or if you go west. That's the the other thing. Go west. West. Just hit west. The thing is, it's also generational. So, typically, I know a few 20-30-somethings who have pretty intense Midwestern accents. When I came here for college, I went to the Mall of America... And the security officers there can have an accent. Huh. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just being out of state and having fresh ears. Oh, hey, criminal, you stop there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to come catch you. That's great. Take you up to Canada and give you to the Royal Mounties, see what they do to you. Royal Mounties. <laughs> they wear red, don't they? I don't know. I just know they're... They're on horseback. You don't want to mess with them. Because they don't have cars in Canada? Is that why? I think that's what it is. Cool. Cars don't survive. Me and my brother used to have a rule that we never, we refused to ever refer to Canada as a country. We'd always just call it South Alaska. South Alaska. North North America. It's like East Alaska. Yeah. Well, when you're in California, it's South Alaska. South Alaska. Yeah, very much. It really is at that point. The only thing separating Alaska and Seattle is South Alaska. Yeah. Yeah, just got to go through South Alaska and drive on up. Anyways, we're going to be jumping into uh, what Ty is sharing. I feel like I don't know anything that you're about to talk about, so I'm going to come in with fresh ears. Um, So, yeah, we're going to jump in in a minute. Get your soldiers ready. So we can smell what you're stepping in. So we can pick up what you're putting down. Um, you know, this... <laughs> that's, my, that's my favorite version of that phrase. I'm smelling what you're stepping in. <laughs> so gross. I'm picking up what you're putting down. All right, that's I'm, better. I hear what you're saying. I'm yeah. tracking with you. I'm smelling what I, you're stepping I in. I like that one a lot more. That's like when you say goodbye to someone. My favorite thing to say to people is, see you when I'm looking at you. Yeah, let's see what I'm looking at. It's, it's self-evident. So, Brittany from Fond du Lac, if you're listening right now, thanks for giving that to me. My coworker at Starbucks, she would always say that. I absolutely stole it from her because I thought it was the best thing. Anyway, okay. I digress. <laughs> what are we talking about this week? What's going on? Um, no, this uh, this week is kind of really um, my journey last couple of years. To the north. Exactly. Exactly where we're going. No. Um, so I went to college. Um, my One of my degrees is in um, pastoral studies. My other one is American Sign Language Interpreting. And I'm doing none of those things. Um, actually, a licensed minister. I pay my dues and, and all that stuff. Um, and my job, the one that pays me, is um, I'm coaching gymnastics for dancers. Um, so just really this, this journey of like how, um, for me, it went from being, okay, I'm going to go into quote unquote, the ministry, how I'm going to become a pastor, my whole life kind of geared towards that. And then, um, just the journey God brought me through to be okay that I'm not doing that just really brought me, um, 
how I kind of come to peace with, with where, where I am and, and really just God, um, helping me to understand that like he has so much more and a deeper idea of what, what life as a Christian looks like than the ultimate goal of being a pastor or an evangelist. Um, so kind of one of the first questions that we're starting off with is, is this idea that like, what is the most important job in the world and why? Painting the lines on the streets for cars. Whoever does that, <laughs> super important. That's actually pretty important. Yeah. Which Ty mentioned that he coaches gymnastics for a living. What he often says is that he throws children. Yep. So if you want a good picture of what Ty does for work. Children run at me and I Throw, send them yeah. flying through the air. Yeah. It's kind of like the, I don't know if you guys saw this last week or the week before, there was the new uh, goal. I don't remember who said it, but some, they said they were going to cut all the homeless people in half. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. By 2020. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just. It says cut, cut homeless in half by 2020. Yeah. Not a good headline. Like that. I mean, that's the same level as Scott at United Service a couple months ago talking about <laughs> fighting kids yeah. with cancer. We're going to fight the kids. We're going to fight kids with cancer. No, fight against cancer in kids. Then. Yeah. Is there a most important job? I think people are going to have answers to that because like when I, when I think, um, even there's moments where I think about my job right now, I go... Cool. They're learning things. They're they're healthier. They're more fit. Um, maybe they're getting some good life management skills. But in the long run, if they if they never walked into the gym, like does it actually make a difference? Uh, maybe I think something that that our generation is really asking is like and really wants to do is they want to do something that makes a difference. Um, so. It's kind of interesting is Reader Digest, um, one of their, the top 10 for Reader Digest and a couple others answers for jobs that Americans can't live without. Number one, waste management. Totally. Because the fact that you don't have some sort of disease right now, at least a huge part of it is the fact that your sewer. Somebody takes my takes, garbage. Takes your. Week. Takes your poop away. Poop away. Yeah. <laughs> and someone takes your garbage every week. Right. Yeah. So it's not, it's just not just stacking up and we're not just burning it in our backyards. Yeah. What about your lives? I mean, my life, even if it's just aesthetic, what's the thing that somebody else is doing as a job that you right. couldn't live without? What, yeah. what is that for you? For me, it's, I mean, grocery store. If, yeah, if grocery stores didn't exist, I couldn't grow my own food. I kill plants. Yeah. That's like my hobby. It's like the opposite of Greg. Yeah. <laughs> when you said the most important job, I have a fascination with cows because they turn grass into beef and milk some of the best things in the entire world <laughs> right so like the farmer that takes care of them like if all of a sudden we didn't have cows because the farmers decided to stop now we don't need cows because we got fake cows yeah fake meat i'm not i'm not into fake milk lab cows no thanks give me my beef <laughs> i i think though like as as you continue to talk about this you realize that like work in general is very different than what you thought it'd be growing up. Cause like what kids in school are like, Oh, I'm going to be a rock star. But like, they don't think about, okay, you're on the road all the time. You make next to nothing. You 
are up late all the time. You're away from your home and your family six to nine months a year. Yeah. Like that's just a really good example of we have these jobs and we think that they're going to be a certain way. And then our idea is often very different than the reality. Yeah. And I would argue that uh, when you're young, when you're in school, when you're thinking about the future, it seems like all of a sudden one day you're just going to become this other thing. Right. I'm going to be a firefighter. I'm going to be, and like, that's all. And then like in your brain, that's all that you are at that point. Yeah. And what's interesting is we've all discovered as you grow up is no matter what job you have, you're still Ty and I'm still Greg. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you have to reconcile those parts of your life that are different or, that didn't change as soon as you got a new job title. Yeah. And I think it's like a Western thing to be really focused on. Like, this is my title. This is who I am. This is all of who I well, am. It's, it's how you introduce yourself. The first question you ask is, what do you do? What do you do? Yeah. Yeah. And growing up for me in, in the church, I grew up, it was always, man, ministry was so valued. Right. Uh, so highly that, it's like if anyone in my youth group said anything other than a missionary or a pastor that they wanted to be, then it felt like they weren't they weren't in the top echelon. I don't of, know if they're really saved or not. Yeah, right. I keep praying for them. If you're a Christian, you're going to be a missionary or a pastor. Yeah, you're you're second string otherwise. Yeah, you're you know maybe you can be a, a business person who makes a lot of money to give to the church and the missionaries and I guess that's their backup plan. Right. Yeah, it's uh. Uh, I've seen that was really hurtful in me as I went to college and had these moments of because I didn't actually didn't think I was going to be a pastor. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like it was failure. Yeah. yeah. And I have friends who would have said when they were in high school that they were going to be pastors or missionaries and who when they went to college realized, oh, there's other things I really care about. Right. Well, and then and then some people, I'm sure like felt that well, ministry is really important. Pastor is really important. It's something that, that is significant and that, and they're really chasing that significance. Lots of people who probably don't have a good pastoral gifting to like manage people and um, really in their, their deepest hurts be with, be with people and, and be the person who can, who can sit there and, and um, listen to their hearts and their secrets and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, probably still became pastors, yeah. Even though they probably shouldn't have in that chase of chasing significance, yeah. and and then um, and also push us to a lot of really weird things. Like if you weren't a pastor, then you probably should be telling people about Jesus at least, <laughs> yeah. Invite people to church. Like everything was geared towards past being a pastor or helping the pastors or telling people about Jesus. There, there was no other real option to what you could do with your life. Sure. And I think on the other end, um, there's been this, okay, as a response, maybe all of these things don't matter. Maybe the thing that matters is here and now what we do for work. Um, the, the significance of like, I'm going to create an organization that, that rescues people from 
sex trafficking or I'm going to um, have a business that um, is raises tons of money to build wells in, in Africa and we're going to give away a pair of shoes for every shoe that we sell. Th- things like that where it's like really um, world changers and that's not bad, but it's almost like opposite ends of the spectrum. One where it's like, okay, the only thing that matters is what you can do for the church. And on the other end, the only thing that matters is the things that you can do outside of the church. Yeah. Uh, it just really creates a dichotomy that's not there in the Bible. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting what the Bible talks about work. Mid, I mean, a ton of notes here to, to what, from beginning to end, kind of how work shows up in Scripture. I know we talked a couple weeks ago about how work was mandated before the fall of man came into play, <laughs> which is a crazy thought. I never thought of it up until last month. Um, yeah, what like what stuck out to you as you worked through that? Um, working through what, what Scripture talks about, the the interesting thing is is um, at that my thought has always been that like okay we're gonna work here that that work is a result of sin, but like realizing that work isn't a result of sin that like as humans God intended us to work even before that you have Adam um, with the naming of the animals which is a sort of work and then you have um, the mandate to um, be fruitful. And multiply to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. Wait, so Adam was working and he wasn't a pastor. No. <laughs> no. I think for me, when we go back to creation, it's always important to remember, one, that humanity was made in the image of God. Right. And what what is God originally known as the creator? Right. And so if we are made to be like God, then we are made to create, which... What I would say is work. Right. Well, and then um, later on, we're going to talk about kind of the, the attributes or characteristics of God, how um, how in God we see order, beauty, and abundance. Um, and, and creation is the expansion of all of those things. And really, um, more than just like work is not a result of sin, part of that mandate um, was for that for that work to extend outside of the garden, um, but the Bible doesn't talk bad about work. Like the Bible doesn't elevate pastors, and it doesn't um, disparage. There was no marketplace. Pastors. I know, <laughs> isn't that crazy? The the closest we get is Timothy and Titus, and even then they're not. Yeah, yeah, they're not pastors in the traditional sense. Well, yeah. it's life is harder for people who would have been considered pastors. Like not not many of you should become teachers. Right. If you're if you're such and such in status and in the community, you got to live up to a higher standard. Yeah, it was not the pedestal that we've kind of turned it into in the 21st century here. Well, and we've really split our lives. That's you know you, what you do on Sunday, your your Christian life, your faith life, or what you do in your home. But it's not what you do Monday through Saturday, and it's not what you do in public. Um, and so, this kind of this next question, just realizing is like, there's a huge part of our life that we live completely separate. Um, so doing, doing a pie chart, just seeing how much time you spent. Like I did a pie chart. I found out that I spend 40% of my week, um, at the gym, throwing kids and teaching them tricks. (laughs) So, so like, that's a huge part of my, my waking hours. I'm, 
I'm doing something that is unchurched. Like it's it's not. I'm not preaching. You're I'm doing a secular job. Secular job, right? That's secular Christian language. Yeah. I I hate that language. I do too. But that's what people know. That's what people right. So that. so the secular and sacred, the divide there, and just really seeing that, like, okay, for ninety percent of people, a lot of their their time is going to be spent elsewhere. So doing that, like, quick pie chart, asking what surprised you. Um, Asking, seeing how much time you spend somewhere. Is there something that you wish was different with how you spend your time? Hmm. Yeah, I was talking to a friend today. He's writing some curriculum on uh, finances, just financial education stuff. And in the same way, you can look, do like a pie chart of your of where you're spending your time. You can do a same pie chart of where you're spending your money. Mm-hmm. And inherently, those things are going to be what you value most. Even if you say you value other things more, the truth is, is wherever you're spending your time, wherever you're spending your money are the things that you think are the most important. Yeah. That can lead to many moments. Like, wow. I spent way more money on Taco Bell this month than I even thought was possible. Yeah. But wow, the- I spent way more time on this thing this month than I thought was even possible. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's always fun to pick one of those areas, write out what your ideal priorities in life are, and then compare that with the reality of how you spent your time or how you spent your money. Because, yeah. like, I bring this up because Zach was talking about relationships earlier, but, like, if you're talking about where you're spending your relational energy, I would hope that my wife would be high up on the list. Right. But when I actually think of like how much time do we spend investing in relationship, it may not be the highest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's well, good to be aware of. And if it's not that way to, to make sure I line up my ideas and my intentions with what's actually going on to know when there's a discrepancy between them. Right. I had someone um, tell me, and this is really good advice is, is the way that they think about their time is less about how they balance their time and more about how they find rhythm. Because life is always changing. Your responsibilities are changing. So I, I like that. Um, but time time is something that's really interesting because, like, dogs really don't think in aspect of time. They'll eat food whenever you put it in front of them. Mm-hmm. Like, humans are weird in the way that we connect with time. And especially when we think about, like, the future um, in the late 2000s till now, there was that huge surge in apocalypse movies <laughs> right, like Hunger Games, um, World War Z, just all of these, even even like Toy Story in, Two, Toy Story Two, exactly. No, Infinity Infinity War, like all of these movies that have this end time sort of focus. Left Behind, and Christians <laughs> kind of got ahead of this. Um, Left Behind oh. is had a horrible. Horrible so impact great. on on so the way great. that Christians view the remake with Nick Cage, just a I, diamond. I was so confused about the mall scene. How, every like, everyone's clothes are falling right, but they're in the middle of the like rotunda. So were their kids just like floating on the ceiling, or like why are their clothes falling? I don't, I don't know. Where were they jumping? What was that? Yeah, but I never seen it. You haven't seen it? Don't see it. That's my advice. <laughs> I have a rule that I don't see any movie with Nicolas Cage in it. Oh, come on. That's man. a great rule. 
Oh, it's Nick a Cage. great rule to live by. I, one of the I wish I had that rule. I have to watch all the time. <laughs> oh, man. He's, uh, I don't even think he's acting. I think no, he's just being Nicholas Cage. That's him. Yeah. Yeah. But Christianity has had different end time apocalypse views. Um, and we go through a couple of those. One of them is evacuation. This idea that like everything on earth is doomed. God's going to get rid of it all anyways. And we're all, all the good people are going to go to heaven. So you're saying God sucked at creating? That's what this view kind of says. <laughs> this view kind of says God, God decided, you know what? After enough people fill lifeboats, after there's enough people who are, who are saved, then he's just going to burn it all. Yeah. And, um, that's hopeful. <laughs> Very hopeful. Well, the, the hope is, is that I don't get to burn like all the bad people. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I'm, that, I'm better off. Really positive. You know? yeah. I'm, at least I made it into the life. Yeah, right? that's not very humble. <laughs> and then there's been this, this other view that, um, that everything is getting better and better and better. That um, we have advances in medicine and science and um, that our responsibility as Christians and in humans really is to make the world a better and better and better place until it matches up with what heaven should be. And then Jesus can come back. And that's like on the extreme end of this view. So um, we have to be perfect for Jesus. Once we get to perfection, right. then I mean, God basically has to come back because we've, we've achieved it. We've gotten we've back to the, we've climbed back in the garden. Exactly. Yeah. Climbing back to the garden and we didn't go through the angel gate. Right. We didn't have any, we didn't <laughs> have any world wars. It. We don't have any technology that can kill hundreds of people with a push of a button. We we didn't do. Well, we're making more of that. We're not making less of those. <laughs> and that's where that's where this view is is kind of hard to hold, and and it's making resurgence. But really, there's um, there's a third view that I I find more believable, and it's kind of this view that God doesn't get rid of things that He takes and He restores them. Um, we see that with the flood. We see that even on a larger scale with Jesus's resurrection, that Jesus's body doesn't just get, he doesn't just get a replacement body, but that he still has the same body. It's, it's restored. It's, um, it's kind of made the way that God intended to make, remake it. It's the same body made better. And this view um, really depends on God doing the work because in this view, it's not us who makes the world perfect. It's not us who brings people and their souls into the lifeboat, but it's really God who takes and he, he remakes the world. He restores it and he restores relationship with people, but we get to play a role in that. Hmm. So this view gives, gives a little bit more of, of partnership that we see throughout scripture. So looking at these different like end time views, um, just asking, how does someone believe about the end? How does it affect how they live now? Kind of the decisions they make, their values. You're brave bringing the end times into this conversation. I know. I I picked I picked both the end times and I picked the the creation. I yeah. just I'm just a glutton for punishment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like how you word it. It's believes about the end, meaning even like okay, you get to the end of your life. Right. Even we don't talk about eschatology. Right. What about the end of your life? You're laying on your deathbed. How does thinking about that moment affect how you live right now? Totally does, though. Yeah, it should. I don't have a lot of moments. I talked with Joy this week because 
uh, we might have brought it up last week in our world here in Minnesota. We had a, a woman pass away. Um, she was very involved in the community, the church community here in Minneapolis area and the greater surrounding suburbs. She was 35-ish. She's got five kids. Um, her youngest is four. And just a really hard, hard loss. And yet at her memorial celebration of life, it was so powerful to just hear testimony of how she lived that as she had kind of one of her final conversations with her father, who was just asking a lot of questions, she said, man, this is not the end. You know, this is going to bring glory to God. And I can't imagine living in that kind of perspective, but it really made me second guess a lot for myself. Like how much time do I waste? What happens if I go to my deathbed in a year? How much time will I have wasted in this year alone? And just being aware of that, man, that should affect how we live. Right. Yeah. I would just encourage people to, well, what you think about the end, whatever that means for you. Right. It do, it should and does affect the now. Exactly. It also can take over the now in an unhelpful way. Because the reality is, is... We all have to say we just don't know. Right. Like, no matter what you believe, what you think, the truth is there's no way for us to know. Well, and I put a disclaimer before we talk about these is there's no way to have certainty, but that these are broad brushstrokes. So if the conversation goes to a point where we're trying to argue with each other to convince each other to believe the way that I do about this, that conversation is not actually helpful. Right. Yeah. So well, think what for is, yourself. Yeah. yeah. What is helpful is understanding, bringing awareness to how you think of about the future, how that affects the now. Yeah. It's amazing to me as Jesus, as we talk about him, you know, coming back after his death, resurrected body, he appears before his disciples and something was different about him to the extent that they couldn't recognize him at first or they yeah. missed it somehow. I don't know if that represents his heavenly body or not, but what I know is, I forget where it's at, but there's the moment where Peter is in a boat and he's fishing, which if you think back to before Peter was called as a disciple, it's Peter, right? Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was a fisher. That's what he did. That, That was his work. And so this moment after Jesus leaves, he goes back to his work. He's still working. He's out fishing and Jesus comes and yells from the shore and Peter doesn't recognize that it's Jesus, but he just hears this person tell him, Hey, go throw your net on the other side. Is this the right story? Yeah. My brain's not. <laughs> no, no, it's the right story. This is after yeah. Jesus' resurrection. Yeah, right? it's after Jesus' yeah. resurrection. And so he yells back to the guy, uh, I've been fishing all night, but I haven't caught anything. But if you say so, I, I'll try the other side. He throws his net on the other side and catches so many fish that the boat can't even contain it. He gets back to shore, realizes it's Jesus, and has this interaction with him. And yeah. Just what a cool picture to me that he continued on in his work even after Jesus wasn't physically present. We get that privilege. Right. And a lot of times, the sermons I've heard about that part of Scripture really scold Peter yeah. for going back to his work. It's all Peter was so unfaithful. He went back to fishing like um and I, I think that's that's something that's like peter when peter had to when peter gets asked does your master pay taxes jesus responses for him to go catch a fish yeah like peter i think 
less stopped what he was actually doing during the time that he was with Jesus more than he just, he just had wider focuses out outside of just fishing. Yeah. It can be powerful if I'm fishing because that's all I think I have. I think I might be missing perspective. If I'm fishing because I feel like, wow, God, you've given me this ability to fish. I'm going to be the best at it. And I'm going to invite people into it. And I'm going to provide for people getting perspective on our work. I'm going to be the very best. Yeah. (laughs) Yuck. (laughs) Oh, man. You could probably be a poker master and make a living off that somehow. No. Oh, there, there are people that do. There are full-time, there are full-time streamers who stream themselves playing Pokemon. Pokemaster. They really are. They're catching them all. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so I'm going to go in for punishment, talking a little bit about the end, and then immediately after, jumping back to the beginning, I think that this was the, the part that really um, surprised me about work, because we think about um, the... The garden. And we think about it a lot of times as like, okay, God intended for humanity to stay in the garden. And that's actually not true because before um, the fall in Genesis 1, um, it says, God blessed them and God says to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. This idea that the work that was in the garden, the garden was kind of a nursery where God's order, abundance, and beauty existed and through their relationship with God, being in right relationship, kind of in that relational order, allowed them to be in a place where their work was with God to expand the garden, to expand order, beauty, and abundance to the world that God had placed them in. <laughs> and um, really, part of why talking about the end time is important is because the picture in Scripture is that God's order, beauty, and abundance are no longer broken by the result of the fall, that we can go back to that place where we are existing in that. Um, But right now, here in the now, not getting paralyzed in tomorrow, like what we do isn't just about bringing relationship order with God, but relationship order with each other and ordering our world, beauty and abundance and a world that oftentimes is marked by brokenness, chaos and scarcity. So, so this, this kind of landing place, I guess at the beginning of the story is looking at, okay, the, the purpose of man wasn't just to stay in the garden. God intended for us to take the order, beauty and abundance these character traits of God and expand it to the wilderness. And that right now we kind of exist in our own wildernesses. There's places in this world that are, that are experiencing ugliness, scarcity, chaos. And as Christians, as someone who has a relationship with God, who's been empowered by God, we have the awesome responsibility through our work whether it's as a gymnastics coach or um, as someone who's in IT tech support, just different things like that, that you can bring um, order, beauty, and abundance to the wilderness in your world. Um, and and that's really is taking all of these ideas that are bouncing around is, and tying them together is that um, the Christian's 
awesome responsibility and ability with God is to bring restoration to the world that we live in today. And not just because you're a pastor or not just because you're, you're making tons of money or doing something that, that matters like air quotes, air quotes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, the other word we see in correlation with this in the Bible, especially in the old Testament is the wording blessing being a blessing. Right. And, uh, I was talking to a friend the other day who just struggling honest, good struggle with the Bible, um, looking at old Testament, God telling people to kill other people mm-hmm. and the violence. And, uh, those are great questions. Um, but it's important to remember the purpose that God told Abraham, who was the father of all of the Israelites and the Jews was that he was, his purpose in life was to continue that, which was told to Adam in Genesis, but to be a blessing to all the nations, to be a blessing to the world. <laughs> Traditionally, you might hear a message like this from a stage in a church and, it might be a really well-to-do pastor who's well off say like, Hey, you know, the body, everybody has their place in the body. So Steve, you've been on our janitor team for 17 years. That's just your place, man. We're so glad that you're in that place while I'm up here. My car is definitely way nicer than yours, Steve. And I have more than you, but I'm so glad you're at your place in the body. I think we miss it. Actually, that it's so much deeper than that. Uh, Man, whatever you're doing, I would say whatever you're passionate about, whatever you're wired for, um, you're probably supposed to be the best at that. Not in a comparative way, but you're wired for that. Go go do that thing and uh, establish it. Let it grow. And it's good to pursue things that we're not even currently working. If I'm working a job that I don't feel like is my passion, that's okay. You don't have to get a new job, but it's good to explore. Like, what am I actually passionate about? Because I bet that God's placed a passion in you for something. Right. And you following the gospel, uh, you following God's will for your life might not be, well, I guess I better become a pastor. Right. There's a solid chance it's, man, God, you have wired me to... Uh, work in engineering. I love math and I'm going to go and give to the world and I'm going to restore and bring beauty to this, this area. And I'm going to do it so excellently. I'm going to be so good at aerospace engineering. I'm going to be so good at working on cars. I'm going to be so good at metal crafting. I mean, just like pick a thing. What do you love? I would even argue that it doesn't necessarily have to be job. Like, yeah, you, it's a broken American culture where we are our job title. We talked about it earlier, yeah. but uh, for me, like I'm, I'm not, I, I'm not just a pastor. No, that's like, all you are. Sorry. I'm, <laughs> I have, call you all the time. Pastor Gray. Yeah. But like, if that's all, anytime people, if, it, if I only had a relationship with people through that lens, if I wasn't a friend, if I would like, what if I would, didn't do the other things that I like to do and passionate about things I just do because I like to do it, things I don't get paid for. Right. Uh, life is a lot less full of joy. Well, and, and that's why, um, in the last question, there's nothing about work in there. It says, how are you bringing 
relational healing, order, beauty, and abundance. It doesn't have to be tied to work. It doesn't have to be tied to hobby or anything. It can be within your own family. It can be, um, it can be in your hobbies. Um, but like, like for me, like a good example is, is the job that I do as a gymnastics coach and working with, with dancers. Um, I've had the pleasure of working with, um, other dance and gymnastics instructors who aren't from our company. Um, and in the dance and gymnastics world, um, yelling and humiliation are a huge part of how you motivate the children to do better. And, um, I just think that that's, that's brokenness. I think that's, um, scarcity. It it brings about a sort of fear of not doing good enough. Um, and so in our, in our world, in our company, um, at, at the awakening, we've really committed to, we don't yell at kids. We emphasize what they're doing. Good. Um, just different small things that like our ways as Christians who are gymnastics and dance instructors, how can we take and this community and this environment um, bring about order, beauty and abundance? Hmm. And it's, it's a, it's a small change. We're still teaching the same tricks that they're teaching, but, but the way that we've gone about teaching it, it's not, it's not sitting there and saying, here, let's pray before we start. Right. It's, it's okay. We've decided that we're not going to create an environment full of fear and, um, self doubt and hate all these things. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's been a really, uh, really good and a really hard journey for me, especially because, um, it's been, spent the last you know, a couple of years being like, should we church plant? Should we do these things? But, <laughs> but really just, um, being able to get to this place where, okay, I'm doing gymnastics and this probably isn't something I'm going to do my whole life. But like, how can I right now where I am, um, fulfill God's mandate <laughs> to me in this moment? Back to your first question. Yeah. What's the most important job in the world? Uh, probably the one you're doing right now. Yeah. Yeah. Not that you shouldn't pursue again. What does it look like if I, if I have a passion for something and I'm not able to do that, maybe I should pursue it. Maybe I should look for a job in that field. Maybe I should get some training. Go do that thing. I would argue before that, find joy where you're at. Yeah. yeah. If you can't find, find joy in the job you're, you're doing now, no matter what it is, yeah. I would argue if you landed your dream job, the joy would only last as long as it was new. Yep. Yeah. So most important job in the world, the one you're doing right now. Yeah. How can you honor God? How can you fulfill that mandate in where you've been placed now? Whether it's your schoolwork, whether it's your work work, whether it's time with your family, uh, whether it's fixing up your house, whatever it is, how can you honor God? How can you fulfill God's mandate? And that. Thanks for sharing, Ty. Yeah, Ty, that's going to be real cool. I know. I wish I, could, is... I wish I could sit and listen to you do it. You can't. Why, why, why are you better at this than we are? I also had a month to do this and not a week. <laughs> that helps. <laughs> uh, well, we appreciate it. Uh, I love being able to be a part of a church community that uh, empowers people to, to do what they're supposed to do. And uh, I love having different people speak. And so if anyone's listening to this podcast and you've always thought, maybe I can speak. Let's connect. Let's figure that out. 
we I would love to help be a part of that process. Um, and uh, yeah, North Loop gets tie this week, Camden the week after, and Uptown the following week. So Uptown will have tie at his best. Yeah, that's the dessert. It's the uh, creme de la creme. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. We will uh, talk to you, I guess, in a few days when Zach and I write the next message. Get it back. Get it back <laughs> together. Oh, it's going to be a crazy couple weeks, but love you guys. See you later. Bye. Bye.